Okay, John, this film is called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. What is the most gentlemanly thing you've ever done? The most gentlemanly thing I've ever done? You don't make these easy. Um, Never do. I once fought a duel for a woman's honour. Oh, tell me more. It didn't really happen. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a disappointment to me. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to one-off films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And this film is chosen by our great mates at uh, Blockbusters Podcast. Yes, they suggested this one to us and it is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So John, what do you think of this film? Um, well, I, I found this film, more than anything else, I found this film confusing. I watched it once and it was kind of late at night and I had a long day mm-hmm. and I got about halfway through. And I realised I had no idea what was going on. And I, I thought, I'm going to have to stop because I'm not, clearly I'm not taking this in. Mm-hmm. I've obviously, I'm missing important plot points that are making it hard for me to appreciate anything about this film. So I, I stopped it about halfway through, came back to it a couple of nights later, earlier, refreshed, ready to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out I was correct the first time. This film doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Did you find this? Like, Yeah, I don't really know what was going on in this film or what they're even trying to achieve in a film, really. Did you know about this film beforehand? What, were you, what did yeah, you know yeah, about this yeah, film yeah. before it's, you watched uh, it? It had been on my list of films to watch, but not high up there. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard good things about it, but I've heard things about it. Okay. Um, from, her, from who and where and how? From other podcasts talking okay. about it. Uh, I, I think people were talking about Sean Connery's acting career mm-hmm. and how this was the end of it, really. Yeah, this is his last ever film. Yeah. I think that there were a couple of films that he wanted to get in, but then didn't cause he didn't, didn't think they were good. Thing. I, I can't I forget the examples it was I know this actually I read this okay. too so Sean Connery turned down leading roles in The Lord of the Rings and The Matrix that because both times he read the script and didn't understand them uh-huh. so he decided he didn't want to be in them so because they, they both turned out to be huge hits he then decided the next time he got a script that he didn't understand he would take it mm-hmm. and in this was his the career film, this was the film he got <laughs> well I think did he plan for this to be his last movie I think this movie put him off acting. Mm. I feel like, I think he did this, I don't think he went into this film thinking this is my last time at the rodeo, but I think the fact that this film was not a pleasant experience for him or anyone involved, and then it went, it kind of bombed and got terrible reviews, mm. I think it just accelerated his retirement a little bit. Yeah. He definitely could have worked more, mm-hmm. but I think after this he just couldn't be bothered. Mm. And I think even during this, watching his performance, you can kind of tell he couldn't really be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Sanderson Reed. I'm a representative of Her Majesty's British government. The Empire needs you. But the question is, do I need the Empire? Perhaps I should toddle off, should I, Ellis? Yes, of course, Nigel, you toddle off. Toddling. Nigel is useful for keeping the story seekers at bay. I'm quartering. We don't normally normally do this, but I, I actually want to try and walk through the plot a little bit because I did find it really hard to okay, follow. Go for it. So I want to try and see if we... Have you're this... not asking me to do it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to try and walk through it and see if you have the same understanding. So the film opens, like you said, it gives the scroll. It's 1899, but it's an alternative version of the world. It's mm-hmm. not the world we live in. It's kind of this steampunk reality. Mm-hmm. So we open with a tank attacking London, mm-hmm. which... Nobody, nobody's ever seen a tank before. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who does the whole Austin Powers thing where the police officer tells the tank to stop and then doesn't get out of the way of the tank and then the yeah. tank rolls over and crushes him. Yeah. Very, very slowly. Yeah. Which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's all these weird newspaper headlines where they think that the tank has come from Germany. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> How? <laughs> Were tensions with England and Germany just a bit off at Oh, possibly. Yeah, no, I could buy that, okay, because, you know, World War One, World War Two weren't far away. So, mm-hmm. but more physically, how did the tank get from Germany to the middle of London without anyone seeing it? Like, don't know. where did it come from? Where did it go? Like, don't know. One thing about this film that I really found was there was so much jumping around locations and there was no sense of space and time. Mm-hmm. There was no sense of how long anything took. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I made a list. I actually made went back and made a list of all the places they get this film takes us. You've put a lot of work into this. I did because this film puzzle really. I've just shown up. Well, that's fine. It's standard. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so in this, over the course of this film, these are the ones I caught. I missed some. We go to the, the the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They go to London, then Berlin, then Kenya, then London again, then Venice, then Mongolia, and then back to Kenya. All in the space of a weekend. I guess. Like, how long did it... F- it didn't feel like this film took place over also, a long rem- period of time. Also, remember, a lot of this is happening by sea. So when they go, yeah. like, London to Venice, mm. it's not the most accessible... No, no, no. Well, they do comment that Nemo's submarine is faster than anything ever seen before, but even so. Like... Yeah, so it can go, like, 10 miles an hour. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we get this intro where the Phantom, which is a guy who is dressed as the Phantom of the Opera... Mm-hmm. So he's, he's terrorising, he's, he robs a bank in London and he blows up a thing in Germany for reasons unclear. And then we... Yeah. <laughs> then, we go to, then we get to Africa, mm-hmm. Kenya specifically, where a character who we never see again, who, who, but also gets a lot of screen time in this one scene, mm. uh, is, is looking for Alan Quatermain, which is the Sean Connery character. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of hanging out at this kind of white imperialism retirement facility. Mm-hmm. Like he's Which got, made me feel super uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like him and a bunch of old white guys in hunting gear being served by like black guys in waiters' outfits. Yeah. It was really segregated. Especially as um, Alan Quartermain then made that comment of something like, oh, I've got black friends too. Oh God, yeah, that's... Yeah. That, that made me feel just like, oh, that's not okay. That's <laughs> that, not okay. And then this is the main good guy character for yeah. the whole film, just... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the lines of dialogue that really that I really picked up on as well. Yeah. Like, there's so many strange lines of dialogue, and that's what I think. What he says is, um, "I've lost. I'm going to do my Sean Connery now. I can't help it. I can't resist. <laughs> I've lost many friends over the years, white and black." <laughs> but you're Alan Quatermain. Stories of your exploits have thrilled English boys for decades. That I know, and Nigel has done a grand job reminding me. But with each past exploit, I've lost friends, white men and black, and much more. And I'm not the man I once was. And then it never comes up again. No, nope. like, it's a, neither do any black people. No, no, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> it's a weird line in any circumstance. But then maybe if he had like a black best friend or something, you know, who then yeah. died or you know, it was something. But no, that, there, there are no, there are no like major black characters in this film. Everyone in this film who is a major character is white. Captain so, Nemo was Indian. Oh, Captain, fair, okay, fair enough. Captain Nemo was Indian. But yeah, it, it was a really odd line. Yeah. I don't know why he said it. Yeah. It really felt like. Because it really just drew attention to it. Yes, it, just it did. drew attention to the lack of any black people in this film. Yeah, 100%, except for crazy witch doctors. Yeah, <laughs> which doesn't help. No, 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 yeah. They certainly <laughs> let into that kind of magical Negro trope kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right? So, yeah, this this undefined British character, he finds Sean Connery mm-hmm. and kind of talks him into joining this team. And then, out of nowhere, they're attacked. Mm-hmm. Once again, a bunch of people with guns just appear, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. Do a whole shoot up. Yeah. The guy who knows who these people are shouts, they're indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Connery justifiably just kind of says, no, they're, they're wearing body armor. <laughs> <laughs> it was very obvious was, they were yeah, just yeah. wearing a lot yeah. of metal. <laughs> there was so much weird dialogue in this film. Yeah, there was. <laughs> No, just armor-plated. So then Sean Connery goes back to London, where he's introduced to Captain Nemo, Mina Harker, and the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And they've all been gathered together by M. Yes. Who, are we to presume is M from the James Bond franchise? Well, that's what I initially thought. Well, I didn't think that. I was like, oh, I guess he was James Bond and this is M. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, that was Moriarty. Yeah, but was he? That's what. This is what confused me because the, the, the spoiler that character then turns out. It turns out the big twist in this film, if there is one, mm. is that M, the guy who brings them all together, is also the villainous Phantom mm. of the Opera. I'm never claiming it's supposed to be the Phantom of the Opera. At one point, Sean Connery describes him as operatic. So right, okay. yeah, he's like, and he look, he's got the mask anyway. Yeah. So M, the guy who brings them together, is also the Phantom of the Opera and also Moriarty. Yes. It's like a triple reveal that yes. over the course of the film. 
so I don't know if it was M for Moriarty or it was James Bond's M is also the Phantom of the Opera and is also Moriarty, which is just so needlessly complicated. So that means that James Bond is a character in this universe. I guess. Played by whom? Well, he's not in the film, but <laughs> that's the thing. There's so many weird little moments like that where they just unnecessarily throw in another like literary reference, but then mm-hmm. don't go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Like They don't do anything with the fact that they've created these characters. Like There's another one where, again, at this part of the film, when Quartermain arrives and the random guy who recruits him says to him, oh, you got here, got here ahead of schedule. And he says, he says something like, not as fast as Phineas Fogg, around the world in 80 days. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so is that going to be a character? Nope. Never <laughs> mentioned again. Like, like just, there was just no need. Like, yeah. why? You made good time getting here. Not as good as Phineas Fogg. Around the world in 80 days. <laughs> so now we've got like a crew. We've got Invisible Man, Mina Harker, Captain Nemo, mm-hmm. and Alan Quartermain, which mm-hmm. I think is a decent enough crew for a film that you can pack 90 minutes with them but, mm-hmm. oh no we're not even halfway yet then they go to dorian gray's house oh yeah yeah where they need to recruit dorian gray dorian gray he was he was the most annoying character in this oh 100 percent by a long way mm-hmm. he's so posh and shit and always wore the same suit even if the suit got torn and ripped to pieces you know you have it back and mm-hmm. half an hour because he's in- invulnerable and so are his suits apparently Again. He gets the worst dialogue in the film as well. I think he absolutely has the worst lines. Yeah. The best bit is when he, it sounds like he's the traitor. Mm-hmm. And um, Ishmael is his one moment, his one actual scene where he says, that Skinner, the invisible man, must have betrayed us. And then Dorian Gray goes, not Skinner, pulls out his gun, me, and then shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> There is no no actor in the world could make that dialogue work. It's no. so corny. We could write better than that. I think we could. This this feel, feels like something we could do on, a, on like an off episode. Like, yeah. We'd, we're both tired. Mr. Gray, what happened? Misadventure. Have the others returned? You're the first. Hopefully not the last. That bastard Skinner. A lot to answer for. Skinner? No. Me. So then they go and recruit Dorian Gray, mm-hmm. who is from the Oscar Wilde novel, the guy who never ages and has a portrait of mm-hmm. himself that's always getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they walk into his house and the first thing anyone says, of course, is, you have a portrait missing. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's very it's very obvious as well. There's like, hang something else there. Yeah, yeah. There's just like a, yeah, there's like that thing where there's like a portrait has once been like, why would you not just put something else up? But also I like that it's just up on the stairway. Yeah. It's not in any sort of grand, like above a fireplace. No, yeah. Because in the main Dorian Gray film, I think it was above a fireplace. Yeah, because it's Cause, the painting. Yeah, it's it's like his life mm-hmm. is that painting. And so that's where it was. And yeah. <laughs> It was so stupid. This film was so stupid. Like, uh, we should do Dorian Gray. Like I've got, I've got good memories of that film. So yeah, I've not seen it, so we could. Most films that I've got good memories of, it's great to re- to revisit and just be like, oh yeah, that's not as good as <laughs> not as good as I remember it at all, is it? <laughs> oh no. But yeah, this, it, it was so stupid because it would it both didn't give the audience enough credit and it introduced characters that it assumed the audience should care about but didn't think why they would. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like. I don't think there was any demand for a film about Mina Harker, Alan Quatermain, and and the Invisible Man in 2003. Mm. I don't think the world was crying out for it. No. It felt like the first half of this film was just a constant series of introductions. Yeah. Um, because there were so very many characters. <laughs> there were. And I think that this is something that did make an impact on the superhero film industry. Because this came out at the same time as sort of the, the early X-Men films and... Um, I've seen a few images of this being sold as a as a double set with uh, Daredevil. Yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> really. Uh, yeah. There's a movie marathon. <laughs> I compare this to films like Avengers, films like Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. and probably the upcoming Justice League as well. Big team ups mm-hmm. of superheroes. Now, the Avengers did it in a very different way to this film, where they did it with five films preceding it, mm. which didn't all hit. They weren't all great, but some of them were. For example, mm-hmm. Iron Man was great. And yeah, so that really helped because it meant you go into a film knowing who everybody is. This one couldn't do that unless it gave them all its own spin-off films first, which, of course, they're now trying to do mm. with this dark universe from Universal. And this is how it just doesn't work. 
if you're just trying to throw loads of people into a film all at once with no backstory and you try and force it out very similar to how Suicide Squad did where they spent the first I think 45 minutes of their film just in a montage <laughs> showing off all the different characters mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work you just can't build a film like that. You need to have more time getting to know each character before you can get into the meat of the story. And I think this film suffered from that. I 100% agree. So then they get Dorian Gray and then, then they're attacked again by random soldiers and the Phantom comes in and sh- there's a shootout. Mm-hmm. For reasons unclear. And then Tom Sawyer turns up. And it's like, hi, I'm Special Agent Tom Sawyer. From the FBI, was it? From the American Special Secret Service? I assumed that he was a made-up character for the film. This is how stupid this film is. Tom Sawyer is a child in a book set in a plantation here in America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when slavery was still a thing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's a child who goes on... I've not read them in years, but he's a child who goes on a series of adventures through, like, America. But very, like, down-to-earth, human-based adventures. And in this he's like a 20 something man who's who's part of the FBI and shoots guns who's called Tom Sawyer and it makes no sense there's no connection between the character and the character from the books Mm -hmm. except the name Mm -hmm. he's not in the Alan Moore books like the comics Mm -hmm. this is what I do know I read up on this they added him in because the studio decided that they didn't think probably correctly they didn't think people would care about all of these older English characters they wanted like a young hot American star to be in the film to make it more appealing to young audiences mm-hmm. so well let's just just make it Tom Sawyer there's literally it seems like they just picked a, a notable American literary figure out of thin air and we're like okay it's Tom Sawyer he's an FBI agent and we'll make Shane West play him Shane West was kind of a teen idol of sorts at the time mm-hmm. I mean this kind of killed his film career a little bit he's, he's now back in TV but yeah yeah and it's nothing to do with Tom Sawyer whatsoever and consequently his character doesn't really make any sense. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm Tom Sawyer of the American Special Forces. Okay, moving on. Uh- <laughs> and you are? Special Agent Sawyer of the American Secret Service. When America is aware of the situation. Well, if war starts in Europe, how long is it going to take until it crosses the Atlantic? I followed you. I knocked out a straggler and I took his place. Very noble. Winchester. That's right. It's modified. American style. American style shooting, too. <laughs> well, whatever it takes. You like it? I brought two. You're in. So now they've got Alan Quartermain, Mina Harker, Captain Nemo, The Invisible Man, Dorian Gray, and Tom Sawyer, all of whom have had their own individual introductions. Just saying, we have actually pointed out it's called Leave Gishordian Gentlemen. Yeah. They're not all men. They're not all men, no. And not all of them are that extraordinary. No. I kept thinking... And not all of them are that gentlemanly. No, no, no. Well, very much... I don't think many of them are, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it fails on pretty much every level. Yeah. So now we've got literally six characters yeah. who we've all had an in- some kind of introduction to. It's mm-hmm. like, surely now the plot is going to get moving. There's still more. Now we have to go and find Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah. Who is in Paris. Did I, I forgot they went to Paris. Okay, so that's another place they go to, randomly. They just, they just <laughs> swing by Paris. Yeah. And somehow they just know where he is. Mm-hmm. They hunt him down. And then he joins the team. And then they, then they go to Venice. Mm-hmm. Which is... Can you remember why they were in Venice? What the reason for all of that was? But, but they're not tracking M or something because no they still thought M was a good guy oh well tracking the bad guy so apparently what happens is they're told that there's going to be a meeting of world leaders in Venice right and the Phantom is planning to bomb the meeting okay kill all the world leaders they should tell the world leaders and then they'll just go somewhere else yes or but you don't <laughs> see the reason this confused, you don't the world leaders are never on screen not even as like background you never see this like they go to Venice and it's like there is there's a carnival on, there's a party happening. Mm-hmm. But there's no sense of where the leaders are, what building they're in, or yeah, what... Yeah, that's true. So then they, they get there just a bit too late, and Venice gets blown up, and then Venice is literally collapsing. Mm-hmm. And then they save the day by blowing up a specific... They'd have, like, a car chase. Mm-hmm. There's yet more soldiers appearing out of nowhere. And then they blow up a specific building to... St- there's this exposition scene where it's like... They all have one line of, like, expeditions like going yeah. around a circle. It's like, duck, duck, goose. It's like, I know how we can fix this. Yes, let's let's blow up one building. And- yes, that will stop the chain of dominoes. I'll take the car. Like- there must be more than one bomb. Nemo! The bombs are at the city centre. We must take out one key building. Yes! 
Get ahead of the collapse and destroy the next building. We can interrupt the chain of destruction. With a beacon placed for the exact coordinates, I could launch a rocket and take out the dominoes. Well, that's ridiculous. We'd never get there in time. There would be no room for error, but I tell you it could work. What are you talking about? Gray's right. I'm an immortal, sir, not a gazelle. How can we outrun this? Care for a spin. So they do that, and then seems to feel like they've saved the day, mm-hmm. but Venice has pretty much been flattened. Mm-hmm. Like, huge amount of Venice has fallen apart. Yeah. Also, did you notice there is not a civilian to be seen? There are no, like, pedestrians in this universe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, thousands of people, if, especially if they're not on the streets, like, half of Venice has collapsed, thousands of people must be dead. Mm. But we do not see or hear any of this. No. Like, it's, it's like an empty city. It's a model city. It's, mm-hmm. like, not real. So then they somehow sort of semi-save Venice. We never know what happens to the world leaders. That just mm-hmm. disappears. And then they find out that Dorian Gray has betrayed them. Well, they think the Invisible Man's betrayed them, but then Dorian Gray has betrayed them. Mm-hmm. And then he so then they he steals the escape pod, the explosion yeah. pod. Yeah. Then him and M leave a video message to the gang explaining their evil scheme. I got the sense that they'd already recorded and sent that. Yeah, okay. Like before Dorian Gray had made his big move. Mm-hmm. So it was like done ages ago, and then it was just like right by this time, me Dorian Gray, I will I will have already made my move on this, or else I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but what? But again, it's like I don't understand why they're revealing their evil scheme like no. <laughs> specific, so specifically. If you're hearing this, then every step leading up to it has gone as planned. And I've been true to the goals set to me. Yes, it's me, Dorian. As you know by now, I'm no loyal summoner. In fact, my loyalty to Mr. M comes in no small part from his possession of something I hold very dear to my heart. Something I would do anything to regain. Everything so far has been misdirection. Sanderson Reed, the assassins in Kenya, your recruitment and mission, the secret conference, a myth. Even the League itself. There is no League. There never was. It was a ruse to get me closer to my goals. He likes the sound of his own voice, doesn't he? So Venice happens, then they find the, the evil headquarters of Phantom is in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. So they go to the deep, deepest Mongolia, mm-hmm. break into the headquarters, they fight a bunch of bad guys, find out that M is also Moriarty, as mm-hmm. well as being the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And then they fight, 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 fight. Oh, that was it. M's overall evil scheme was to distract... And this blew my mind. This, I didn't, couldn't make a head and a tail of this. So he set up the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He brought all right. these people together. Mm-hmm. Sent them on a mission to stop himself mm-hmm. from destroying all the world leaders and causing World War Three or World War One. Sorry, mm-hmm. all of that was a distraction technique so that he could steal all of their special powers because he steals the right. formula that Doctor Jekyll drinks. He steals Skinner's invisibility formula as well. Yeah. He steals Mina Harker's blood. Mm-hmm. Unclear what he gets out of Alan Quatermain. Unclear what he gets out of Tom Sawyer. Yeah, whatever. So he sets them all up and sends them to Venice and gets them to stop him from blowing up Venice Mm. purely so he can distract them so he can steal their essences. Mm -hmm. Then he wants to use that to actually start chaos in the world. Mm -hmm. It's such a long game. Yeah. What was his end game there? I don't understand. No, I don't understand either. (laughs) Just to become powerful, I guess? Yeah, it's never clear. But like, why would you even bring them all together? Why not like... You know, it's like it's like divided. We, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. Mm. Why not hunt them down individually and just assassinate them or get their? You know, why bring them all together and make them a team and then because it makes them? for a film. Because it makes you've a, got film. a team up. I know, I know, yeah. But it it was even in the annals of like plotting, it was mm. silly. Anyway, so we're now at the end of the film. So mm-hmm. they fight, 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 fights, and Dorian Gray gets killed by Mina Harker because he's the tra- traitor. Alan Quatermain gets apparently killed. Mm-hmm. And but he kills Moriarty in the process, mm-hmm. and then great. So the film ends. Then they all go back to Kenya, the survivors to bury Alan Quatermain, mm-hmm. and then they all walk away united as a gang. And then a, a really broadly drawn witch doctor type comes on and does a, does a dance, and then his grave gets struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. End of film. Setting up a sequel where he gets resurrected as a zombie must do I guess yeah. well yeah I was waiting for like a carry moment you know the, the end of carry where like the hand comes yeah. out of the glory yeah, yeah me too me yeah too. I was like so that was my that was my attempt at making sense of the plot of this film is that how you understood it 
well, that's helped me a lot. That's that's given me a lot more understanding than I had previously. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> thank you. It took me two watches <laughs> and a Wikipedia session to, to piece that together. Yeah, like, I'm still not fully there on it. No. But this film could do with a couple more watches to actually understand it, but I just don't want to. <laughs> But I don't think we missed it because we're not smart enough to understand the film. I, I think the film just is that incoherent. Mm-hmm. I, read a, actually, I read a review by Roger Ebert, who's a famous American critic, mm-hmm. who said of the film, it feels like the script blew away and they someone chased it down and grabbed a bunch of random pages and that's what they shot. And that was the film. What an analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is 100% my sense of what this film was. Right? Wow. Okay, so should we get to some drinking games? Uh, yeah, sure. So, drink for terrible, terrible dialogue. Well, yeah. That's okay. a pretty, pretty, pretty solid one. Yeah. There were so many bad lines. We've covered some of them. So, I've I've lost many friends. White and black. That's that's one, obviously. Lots, all the exposition in Venice, like I say, where they all... Mm-hmm. Just, just any scene where, where the entire crew is standing around shouting exposition at each other. I would say drink and exposition. Just drink for exposition, yeah. yeah. Another one that got... <laughs> the Invisible Man. Mm. He goes through it in this film. Like he, I thought he was dead. Because you know at the end where he, he get burns alive. Yeah, he? he's again he's naked. Yeah. Let's forget he's got no protection. Yeah, he's naked, and we see him get set on fire to yeah. the point where we can see his outline is in flames. Like he must be like prop like first degree burns. Or what's the worst one? Third degree. Burns. Third degree. But he must be horribly disfigured. Well, there's a bit afterwards where you see just like this burnt skin walking around. Yeah, and then two minutes later he's completely invisible again. And it, it's as though nothing happened. It's like, oh, that was all fun, wasn't it? Yeah, but the line of dialogue, like, when he, when he does get set ablaze, and then I think it's Tom Sawyer runs over to kind of try and help him, mm. and he's like, Skinner, are you okay? And he says, and this may be the worst line of dialogue in a film full of terrible dialogue. He goes, that'll teach me to play with matches. <laughs> God. <laughs> You're set on fire. Yeah. yeah, and he's just quipping. Skinner? the last time I'll play with matches. Also, when Alan Quatermain impales the guy and then the British... And I saw this oh, line yeah. and the British flag falls on top of him and he oh. goes, Raw Britannia. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, just drink every t- just drink every time a line of dialogue makes you do what you just did. Just go, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Britannia. Okay, well, uh, what, what do you think about uh, drinking every time the submarine changes size? Yes. Because mm-hmm. when you initially see it, it's it's massive. It's like it's like the Titanic. It's bigger. I don't know. And then later in the film, it's it's like a, the size of a canal to go yeah. through Venice. Yeah, it's just yeah, it, it's just randomly like floating along the very shallow, narrow canals of Venice. It's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Like. What happens to the people inside? Like, I don't know. Are they become tiny little people? Like, not, I, yeah. I don't know yeah. how submarines work, but I don't think that's it. No, not even not even Nemo's submarine. Yeah, that that was I noticed that too. That was ludicrous. <laughs> We've touched on this, but drink for really heavy-handed literary allusions. Yeah. So every time it mentions a character from literature, mm-hmm. whether or not they ever appear in the film, half the time they don't. Mm-hmm. There's call me Ishmael. This is my first mate. Call me Ishmael, please. There is... Does Jack the Ripper live around here? Yeah. This is the charming spot. Does Jack the Ripper live here? There's... there's like I said, there's a, Around the World in 80 Days. It's mostly just Sean Connery just saying things like, to mm-hmm. fill time. Yeah, every time a literary character is referenced, whether or not they appear or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems operatic. So many, so many. They've discovered these attacks are all the work of one man who calls himself the Phantom. Very operatic. And what's in it for him? This was such like a self-congratulatory wank fest for people who've read a few books. <laughs> yeah. It's not even clever about it. Like, <laughs> Drink whenever bad guys appear from absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. Did like, you notice that for us with the, the fight scenes where they just suddenly ran every corner and they've not been, there's been no build-up towards it at all? Yeah, they just literally, yeah, it's like, how do they get to Kenya? Although in Venice, they're just like standing, they're like standing, waiting to shoot them on the, on the rooftops as if they knew they were going to cut. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, lots of goons appearing completely out of nowhere. I mm-hmm. agree. Oh, yeah, that's a, that would get you nice and drunk. Yeah. 
Okay, here's one. Drink whatever the editing makes it really obvious that Sean Connery is not doing his own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't so good. There was some choppy, choppy... Again, the Kenya scene when he's doing the hand-to-hand combat, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous how much it's not him doing that. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> yeah, no good. Uh, that's all I've got. Okay. Alternative readings? Yeah, sure. Do you want to go first for this one? Or? Sure, okay. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a collection of random scenes from a film that once resembled... A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, well, yeah, as as I mentioned the Roger Ebert review, it's like, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like nothing hangs together. No, nothing makes any sense. Like, no. It's just random scenes that, it's just a random little travelogue of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I only had one this week, which was the, the League of Extraordinary Wigs. Oh, yeah. Which is going to lead me on to some discussion of wigs in this movie. Mm-hmm. This was a wiggy, 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 wiggy movie. As are most of the films. Most of us we do, do, but this, yeah, and even the wigs couldn't really sustain my interest, unfortunately, but no. I did notice them and I did appreciate them, as always. Mm-hmm. Did you have a particular favourite wig? Uh, Dorian Gray, I think. Dorian Gray. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I was taught, so yeah, there was Dorian Gray's wig, mm-hmm. which was just long and black, and yeah. There was, Sean Connery is always wearing a toupee, of course, mm-hmm. standard. There was Mina Harker, whose hair extensions seem to change length from scene to scene, which I found very I distracting. Yeah, sometimes they're like down below her like hips, other times like just a, it's like a shoulder bar. It's mm-hmm. very inconsistent. And the most distracting wig for me was Shane West's wig, the, the Tom Sawyer's wig, mm-hmm. his blonde wig, because it was so strangely positioned on his head. <laughs> it was like they tried to give him a sexy like flop. The hair is flopping over the eye kind of look because mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a blonde kind of moppy kind of wig. Yeah. And but the way they positioned it made it look like his sense of parting was just hanging like just to the right of his right eyebrow. It mm. was really bizarre placing and I kept noticing his his because I know what Shane Ward looks like. Not Shane Ward. It's Coronation Street. <laughs> I know what Shane West looks like. I've seen him in other things. He's he's got short dark hair. Yeah. And I kept seeing his actual hairline through <laughs> the wig and it was so distracting. It was constant. Mm-hmm. Every time he runs and like flicks it it's like I can literally see your roots. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. League of Extraordinary Wigs, because there were some truly extraordinary wigs in this movie. Uh, and yeah, they were all my alternative readings this week. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. Should we get on to some sequels then? Yeah, I feel like it's your turn to go first. Okay, well, mine I've called The Team of Brilliant Gents. The Team of Brilliant Gents, okay. Yeah. Um, this, this sounds like this film's non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it is. Well, let's be fair, this film is this film's non-union Mexican equivalent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for this, I'm recasting everybody. Is that a straight remake? Not really, just another story with similar characters. Okay, sure. Probably a sequel. Okay, cool. So Alan Quartermain, I'm casting Ian McAllen. Okay. Ooh, I wonder how Sean Connery would feel about that. Is he going to be playing it in the same way as Sean Connery was playing it? A little bit. I was, I was just thinking, who's old and fun? Yeah. Because can... this film I want to make, I want it to, want it to be a fun film. Because that's what this Extraordinary Gentleman didn't have was any level of fun. That's very true. This film felt like it took itself way too seriously. Mm. This film needed to be a comedy. Yes. And it, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. So so this this is just a more lighthearted version. It's more, it's a comedy. Okay, it's it's a broad comedy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Ian McCall- I don't think he's got any of the kind of physicality that Sean Connery has. Because Sean Connery no, is not like... not necessarily, but there's going to be other characters, so he's not going to be leading... There's going to be other big names. Okay. So it's not going to be just leaning on this one guy. Oh, no, I don't mean... I mean, like, for to be in... Is he going to be more of, like, a sassy adventurer then? Right. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that works. I think I like that idea. Yeah, go on. Casting a new character, Dracula. Okay. Patrick Stewart. Good. Oh, because they have to be together. Yeah, they're a good team-up. Yeah. He'd be a good Dracula. He would. I reckon he'd have loads of fun with that role. And he could do, like, because he's... I'm also cool. thinking who, who can be really fun and comedic. And yeah, 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 100%. I, I don't know if I've actually seen him in a comedy. Other than, like... Extras. He's done like Family Guy and extras, yeah. But uh, oh, Family Guy, of course, yeah. But yeah, he does a lot of voice, funny voice work. Yeah, Family Guy, American Dad does them pretty well. Yeah, but I'd, in terms of his like on screen, I know what you mean. Um, mm. He must have done com- comedies on screen, but there's a couple of behind the scenes Star Trek stuff. But mm-hmm. but he could be good because because he, he's bald, he could do like the whole kind of Nosferatu look. Because you get the Dracula with like the Widow's Peak, the famous mm-hmm. like. But also, if you watch old black and white Dracula or vampire films, he's much more like. Yeah, he's like bald with big ears. So he could do like the classic vampire look. So mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, cool. I think that'd be pretty good. I'm on board. Is uh, he going to be doing a... Sorry, it's interrupted. Is he going to be doing a really like hammy Romanian accent? Like, yeah. I want to suck your blood. Uh, yeah. Great, cool. But <laughs> with Patrick Stewart's kind of delivery. I'm, I'm, I'm already sold. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I'm having an invisible man. An invisible man, yeah. An invisible man. Okay, not the invisible man still for legal not reasons. Okay, cool. Played by Simon Pegg. 
Cool. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, he's got the kind of charisma that whoever this other guy was didn't quite have. Mm-hmm. Sam Peck could play that and could actually play that exact role in that exact film, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's a good casting role. Unless you're using him elsewhere, which you may well do, I think it might be funny to have the Invisible Man played by Nick Frost. Ah, well, Nick Frost was going to be Dr. Jekyll. Okay. Mr. Hyde. That, that also works. I just think it'd be really funny if you're like a really fat Invisible Man. Okay. Just because, like, obviously the the thing... Ah, uh, yeah, man. that would work, because then he gets to, like... I don't, I don't want to bump into things. People can bump into him yeah, thinking yeah. that they're a little bit further away from him than they actually are. Yeah, exactly. Because the whole thing with the Invisible Man, his only good thing is that he can creep around and be very nimble because he's, no one can see him. Whereas if you've got, like, a 20-stone Invisible Man who's, like, you know, going to find it harder to be, you know, oh, sneak around. Okay. I think that's quite funny. Because if you don't see him, you don't know that he's, like... Yeah. Really big. Yeah. And then like maybe like he knocks something over and but he's got his glasses or his face it's like so how did you knock that over when your your face is there's like well my belly's yeah. like here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's idea. Really- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. Yeah. Well switch it around then mm-hmm. Simon Pegg is Dr. Dracul and Mr. Hyde? Yeah, I can see that too. I mean did well, apart from just reuniting Pegg and uh, Frost, was there any particular reason you thought? Nah, just a good duo. Okay. Because I mean obviously Nick Frost because he is a big guy, I can mm. see him he would look good as a a doctor was it's just Mr. Hyde's the bad one, isn't he? Yeah, I can see him like hulking out, and that that would look cool too. So mm. both would work. But yeah, I, I'm I like the idea of a fat invisible man more. So yeah, yeah, me too, <laughs> me too. So I think I should stick with Simon Pegg on that, or go with someone else. Yeah, I can see that. Well, Simon Pegg would play a good Jekyll because he's very mild mannered. Mm. So it might actually be really funny as well if to then have him also play. A, I'd, I've never seen Simon Pegg play someone really like muscular and scary mm. and intimidating. That's not who he does. He plays like the everyman. He did, so, it, he did it in Star Wars Force Awakens. Did he? Yeah, there's one guy who's really... You don't see his face at all. Oh, oh is he... Which one did he play in Force Awakens? Uh, that one that uh, Ray is selling just random things to and he's oh. giving her portions of stuff. That was Simon Pegg. Oh, okay, yeah. But I like the idea of it being Simon Pegg because we know what he looks like and I say he yeah. looks... Like, he's, he's very everyman, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Having him, like, with all the CGI put on him to make him, like, super ridiculous... Because the CGI on Mr. Hyde in this film was so ridiculous. Like, what that was Simon Pegg. <laughs> Would be really funny. Like. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into the story. So mm-hmm. we start with the, the four of them. So it's basically just going to be these four. There's not okay. going to be any other additions to the team unless uh, we do that. Uh, uh, you've cut out the only woman. Are there no women in this? Uh, not planned. Oh, Harry. What? I couldn't think of any interesting female characters. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are what's wrong with Hollywood these days, mister. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. So we start with the four of them in Germany um, mm-hmm. in the early 20th century where they're hunting uh, for, well, they're, they're hunting Frankenstein's monsters. Okay. Dr. Frankenstein has a cunning plan to unleash this virus upon the world. Okay. Which will get the, the dead rising from the graves um, and the living joining the dead. Okay. Essentially, zombie outbreak. Okay, so do we have a cast for Mr. Frankenstein? Dr. Frankenstein? Uh, Dr. Frankenstein, I have one in mind, yeah. Okay, cool. Is that to come, though? Is that Are you building to that? Uh, it's about to. Okay. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, yeah, can see that. Yeah. It's good. I see him playing a little bit of a sort of crazy doctor type thing. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a Frankenstein's monster as well? Not specifically a Frankenstein's monster. There's just sort of many. So there's no specific, like, your classic bolts through the neck, like, lumbering kind of... Probably not. I mean, well, there's there's one coming up that could be, so yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, so they're having a battle trying to get their way into Frankenstein's castle mm-hmm. somewhere in Germany. Mm-hmm. And so they finally get to Dr. Frankenstein and he says, You'll never stop me. You can't beat this. This virus will spread through Europe, across Asia and down into Africa. The dead will rise from their tombs. The living will become dead men walking. He says that and then pulls a rope from the ceiling, which opens up one of the walls, revealing this massive monster. Maybe that's Frankenstein's monster. Okay, cool. Green guy bolts through the neck and everything. Who's playing him? Hmm. Who do you cast as a big green monster? I'm thinking someone... Without anybody who's played Hulk. True. Well, yeah, my, my initial thought was, like, Channing Tatum. Like, someone who is, like, really beefy and... Yeah? yeah. Okay, yeah, Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's giant as well. So he's not just a normal-sized monster. He's, well, he's, kind of, he's quite large, Channing Tatum. Yeah, is he as large as Mr. Hyde? No, he's not, no. But I'm, I, like, I don't I, know. I'm thinking somebody who's like four metres high. Oh, really? Okay. There is no person who is four metres high, by the way. I know. So Channing Tatum will do. Okay, fine. Maybe like Tom Hardy or something, I don't know. Nah, it's good Channing Tatum. He's a funnier reveal. Okay, fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. If it's a comedy, Channing Tatum's good. We know he can be funny. So. Yeah. And then Dr. Frankenstein manages to get away. So team fighting a monster that's a distraction 
Once they finished fighting the, fighting the monster, which of course they beat with you know, a bit of trouble, but it's a good way for us to sort of see what they can all do. Mm-hmm. Alan Quartermain says, "He's right. We can't stop this." Is that? It's not. It's not good, Ian McKellen, is it? I think you should, even though it's Ian McKellen, yeah. I think anyone can do a Sean Connery. So, <laughs> so Ian McKellen doing a Sean I'm which doing, is in itself, I'm doing Ian McKellen doing a Sean yeah, Connery. Yeah, I want to hear Harry doing Ian McKellen doing Sean Connery. So maybe like do a Sean Connery but make it a little bit camper. Right. <laughs> um, I believe in you. You can do this. He's right. We can't stop this. More sibilant S's. He's, he's right. We can't stop this. Lower down. <laughs> the virus is already out. Why do to... you always do this? Na- you always do the same nasal thing every accent you do. You, you <sighs> default to this weird. I've not like, practiced. I've been, <laughs> been busy. Say shaken, not stirred. Shaken, not stirred. You're still doing it. Shake. <laughs> what other voices are there other than nasal? There's no other voices. There are many other voices. <laughs> right, continue. Carry on your story. You have to stop him from leaving this, and, and infecting America too. So the virus is essentially a zombie apocalypse. Okay. So yeah. this has been released. So. Dr. Frankenstein has released this virus. Has released this virus in Germany. In Germany, okay. Um, and it is now gonna, it's now gonna go get all over Europe and probably connect to any land masses. Okay. So that's pretty much all of Asia and Africa. Right. Okay. Unless they can do anything to stop it. Okay. But what they do first is they want to stop him from getting anywhere else, i.e., America. Mm-hmm. So they need to get. They, they need to work out how he's going to travel to America and try and stop him on the way. Mm-hmm. They know that the only sort of shipping lanes between Europe and America go from Britain. Right. So that's what they do. They go to Britain. There's a bit of a montage of them battling their way through Germany and France with different German and French zombies. There will be a lot of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of baguettes. <laughs> Perhaps an accordion or two. Yeah. Uh, maybe a few zombie mimes. <laughs> what about the Germans? <laughs> what do Germans have? Bratwursts. <laughs> <laughs> pretzels pretzels bratwurst yeah the pretzel the, fight the uh what the, the lederhosen oh yeah <laughs> okay so they uh, um, they eventually make their way into britain um arriving into southampton mm-hmm. which is the biggest international port in the world at mm-hmm. the time the people in southampton are aware what's going on in mainland europe but the infection's not there yet we must have beat him here says dracula oh that was not good we must have beat him here we Come must on. have beat him here <laughs> We have to stop him before he arrives and infects everyone. <laughs> no idea what you're doing. No, me neither. <laughs> Can we just drop this whole thing where I do impressions? No, it's it's when you when you try, you're really good. But I think like, you're not. For some reason today, you're not committing. Oh, Sometimes you come in, you like you, you know what you're doing, and you only once. We've only had yeah. like, one impression. Well, that we've was good. proven that you can do it though when you put your mind to it. Right? Anyway, right. <laughs> so they set up a blockade, stopping any ships from arriving in okay. to try and stop Frankenstein from arriving and mm-hmm. setting off this virus. Unfortunately, though, after a few days, they see a carriage arrive at the docks with Frankenstein getting out of it. So he must have arrived somewhere else mm-hmm. and made his way over land to get there. He immediately gets on this boat, this uh, this massive ship, which is going to head over to America. In the meantime, they all notice that the local cemetery has just burst open and there is an army of the dead coming, to- coming towards them. Right, okay. So they have to fight all, fight off all that while Frankenstein makes his getaway on this boat. Mm-hmm. They have a big battle, they win. Yeah, good. <laughs> and so they then need to make a dash for that ship. They need to catch that ship so that he doesn't get to America before them. Mm-hmm. They get on a smaller ship, which can sail a bit faster, and just manage to get there at the very, very last minute. They'll jump on. Maybe one of them falls in the sea, but somebody swims out. <laughs> a bit of action, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then, uh, well, the Invisible Man, sorry, an Invisible Man, <laughs> Um, who is Nick Frost says hey what ship is this to which uh, Dr. Jekyll said oh why it's the Titanic the unsinkable ship the largest and grandest ship in the world even larger than anything in Captain Nemo's fleet oh I like this because that's another even though it's a real person it's like an actual reference which I feel like this movie would do if if they could get away with it they would use Titanic so yeah cool so now it's a case of hunting down Frankenstein and stopping Mm -hmm. him from releasing this virus into America okay they know he's on this ship so Mm -hmm. it's just a case of finding him which they do Okay. They find him and immediately lock him in the brig. Okay. Just so he can't do anything. And then he just all go and have a drink. Okay. Go to a restaurant and maybe get a meal. Later that evening, when they're all having this relaxing meal, they hear a bit oh, of commotion I, going I downstairs. What could be happening. <laughs> <laughs> and so an invisible man and uh, Dr. Jackal, they both go downstairs expecting to see, you know, all the third class Irish people just having a bit of a jig and you know, a lot of drunk Irish people. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they find a lot of drunk Irish zombies. Oh, okay. What would a drunk Irish zombie be like? 
Probably a drunk Irish person, really. There's <laughs> not much difference, no. really, is there? <laughs> drunk and undead, it's, it's not really. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, bit, a little bit more. They have a bit, have a bit of a fight, but... Uh, is it like The Walking Dead where you have to just, like, stab zombies in the head to kill them, or, like... Is it that kind of brutal, or... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, let's say that. Okay. So they have a bit of a fight, but it actually doesn't go that well, and they both get bitten. Who's they? Sorry. This is um, an invisible man. An invisible man. And Dr. Dracula and Dr. Jack- Mr. Okay. Hyde. So Alan Quatermain and Dracula they're, are still they're, safe. They're still upstairs at Trinket okay. Port or whatever. Fair enough, cool. Yeah, Yeah. so they get get back to the restaurant mm-hmm. with just enough time to tell Alan Quatermain and, and Dracula before they both fall to the floor and then transform into zombies. Right, okay. Got a bit of a Shaun of the Dead moment there. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So then, I'm just going to call him Alan now because I hate his surname. So then Alan and Dracula have to have to fight off an invisible zombie and a zombie Dr. Dracula. <laughs> uh, a, na- a naked invisible zombie. I yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is obviously quite the challenge. One of them being invisible. Yes. And the other one being a massive monster already. Yeah. In zombie form. They managed to do it. Well, they managed to get away from them. They don't manage to beat them. So they managed to get away and, and they see that the ship is half zombies already like there's nothing they can do and so they said well this ship can't arrive in America it'll it'll wipe them out we need to take it down somehow Sh- somehow <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> you're getting there you're getting there you mean we need to sink the unsinkable ship so that's what they do Alan has several explosives in his bag quite conveniently so they sink the Titanic it's not the iceberg at all well, no there's no iceberg at all they oh, set these explosives down in the engine rooms mm-hmm. next to the hull Set them all off immediately, and the ship starts to starts to let in water and sink. Oh, wow! They manage to make it to the lifeboats, as do everybody else who is still alive. Given that now half the population of this ship are zombies, there oh, are enough okay. lifeboats for everyone. Oh, so this kind of vindicates all those selfish first-class people who didn't go back, because actually mm-hmm. all those all those poor people were actually just zombies. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's convenient. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there any sign of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in this? I mean, maybe there could be. Just like a cameo, yeah. Yeah, definitely a cameo. But they'd be zombies, presumably. Def- definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Is is Doc... Zo- zombie sex in the car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> like, the hand goes up. And the hand goes up, but there's no arm connected to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It just breaks off. Yeah. <laughs> and is Dr. Frankenstein, is he still locked down in the brig? Is he, like, going down with the ship? Does he... Like, presumably. Out? Okay. We don't see. Oh, okay. Is this setting up for a sequel, maybe? Maybe. Hmm. I'd like to leave things open. Okay. Yeah, and they're on a lifeboat with a fair, a fair few people as well. So, unfortunately, Peg and Frost are just dead. Yeah, they're gone. Oh, that's, a, that's a downer. Yeah. They do notice at one point that the lifeboat is kind of... It's leaning to the side a bit. Okay. Because there's a heavy weight. A heavy, invisible side. weight, yeah. <laughs> so nobody can, nobody can see anything, though. Okay. Um, and then somebody gets bit. Oh, okay. Which is quite alarming. And then somebody else gets bit. Mm-hmm. To which Dracula then sort of runs towards this invisible weight. And Dracula, by the way, is immune to being bitten by zombies because Dracula is already an yeah. immortal yes. vampire. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know what Dracula is. I'm aware, yes. <laughs> and so he holds him down and Alan asks, what, sh- what shall we do with him? Can we fix him? Does anybody have any ideas? I might, says someone in the back. My name is Albert Einstein, but you can call me Albie. <laughs> I think I can come up with a cure. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Who, who is um, Albert Einstein? Who would you cast as Albert Einstein? I don't know. Who would you cast as like an Austrian genius? <laughs> Christoph Waltz, maybe? Christoph Waltz? I think Einstein was Austrian. Maybe he was German, but Christoph Waltz. Maybe. Yeah, sure, Christoph Waltz can yeah. do it. Yeah. Like full white hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that is um, a group of okay gents. What, what do they call it? Yeah, I agree with ordinary gentlemen. Maybe. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. It's good. It, it, I like that you part it down. Yeah, you don't need eight. What, you don't need eight leading characters. Four will do. Yeah, four yeah. will do. Kill two pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like it, and I like the, I like the idea that you brought in some more characters from like historical fiction, like Titanic and Albert Einstein. I think that's mm. yeah, because that's in the spirit of these things. It's like little cameos by people. But, yeah. yeah, definitely. And to do history a little bit better like Titanic didn't hit an iceberg yeah it had a zombie outbreak and was taken out with explosives yeah because these films are supposed to exist in a world that's like ours but somewhat different like most yeah. some things are the same some things are different so mm-hmm. yeah yeah because I'm pretty sure Albert Einstein was not on the Titanic so. I'm, I would doubt it yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah no good like it okay so my turn 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So I've done something a little bit different this week. I've not come up with one single idea because mm-hmm. I was struggling a little bit. So instead, I've come up with three small ideas. Okay. So we'll just uh, we'll just see, and maybe you can tell me which one you like the best. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the first one I had is called the League of Extraordinary Egos, and this is kind of a movie within a movie. Because one thing when watching this film, the film itself I didn't find terribly interesting, mm-hmm. but I did find myself really wanting to see a movie about how this movie got made. Okay. Because it was such kind of a disaster, and mm-hmm. it was so there was so obviously so much going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see kind of a you know the disaster artists just come out or is mm-hmm. coming out soon, which is about the, the the James Franco and Seth Rogen doing a film about the making of mm-hmm. the room. I'm thinking something similar to that, where like a new cast of people. Either a new cast of people plays the characters who play the original characters in a film about the making of the film. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's like a behind-the-scenes mockumentary kind of style where the actors, a lot of the actors play themselves, maybe? Yeah. I can't decide. But anyway, so maybe some of the original cast would come back. But I feel like Sean Connery doesn't have a sense of humour about himself. I don't think he would come back and make fun of himself. No, I don't think he would at all. No, I think he has no sense of humour. So maybe if we did the mockumentary thing, you'd have to say, like, Sean Connery declines to participate in this documentary, which mm-hmm. would in itself be kind of funny. If you were to do it as a... People playing the parts of the character... Actors playing the actors playing the characters. Just mm-hmm. Who would play Sean Connery? It's really difficult. Like um... He's such a unique character, isn't he? He is. I have three possibilities. Okay. My first one is uh, Mike Myers. Right. He doesn't really have the physicality, but he does do a mean Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. Second one would be Pierce Brosnan, for obvious reasons. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just a nice, nice little meta commentary. Yeah. I don't know what his accent works like, but uh, give him a go. You know? It's not great. No, probably not. In well, James Bond, he was still kind of Irish. Yeah. But if he, Irish is closer to Scottish, so yeah. it's not a million miles away. You know? True. Yeah. True. And the third one, just because I think he's got range, is Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Right. He'd do kind of a weird portrayal of him, but I think he could pull it yeah. off. Has he done comedy before? Michael Keaton. Well, mm. Beetlejuice, you could say, is funny. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Beetlejuice? No. On the list. Um, <laughs> it's got an owner in it, you'll love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think this film, maybe it starts with a pair of idealistic young screenwriters who hit on the idea of adapting Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic novel series into a blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, as I mentioned, this is coming out the same year as like Daredevil, it's before Batman Begins, so it's at this time when the studios really have kind of lost the plot and they don't really know how to make these kind of films. So I think this film could be a commentary on that, like mm-hmm. on, on like studio interference mm-hmm. and how these two writers actually have a really good idea and they really believe in the material, but then the constant interference from money makers just makes it all go horribly off the rails. Yeah. And that's my overarching idea with this. Uh, so first of all, they have to get Alan Moore to sign off on it. Have you ever seen what Alan Moore looks like? No. Okay. So this gave me a lot of inspiration because great one of the great geniuses of his field, a very, very talented man. Mm-hmm. He does look a bit like Saruman from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Mixed with somebody you'd struggle to get out of a conversation with in the Weatherspoons at two in the afternoon. <laughs> so me then. Yes. No, no, no. You know, like, you know. Like, sometimes you go in, like, in the daytime, it's like a stag party or something, and mm-hmm. there's always the crazy old man who's there every day, mm-hmm. with the big beard, and he's there every day and the yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. he's your future but mm-hmm. uh, maybe but uh, yes that there's g- no maybe in that yeah <laughs> so yeah he, Alan Moore does have that kind of wild kind of look about him like mm-hmm. wizard meets drunk, drunk old man shouting at a cloud so mm-hmm. yeah so I think that'd be really funny if he um, was just playing a full blown crazy person yeah so again who, who would pl- who, who would play a good cr- he's like in his 60s as well so who's like, who, who would play or he would have been in his 50s when this came out so who's good to play a crazy old man who gives good crazy beardy old man mm, I don't know the actor's name but Parks and Recreation Ron Swanson Ron Swanson mm. mm-hmm, I can see that yeah that's good uh, Nick Offerman that's his name okay yeah, yeah. yes Nick Offerman I like that yeah mm. uh, I had a few options mine were Billy Connolly okay yeah. not sure if he's still acting if he's still well enough but uh, mm-hmm. In his peak, he definitely is very good at playing crazy mm-hmm. old man. I can imagine him being like this kind of loud, you know, really leery kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Like him, have you seen Muppet Treasure Island? Yes. Yeah. Or possibly Will Ferrell in like a full beard. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, he'd be good. Yeah, he'd be, he's good, cra- mm-hmm. gives good crazy. So at some point, they managed to get him on board and they get a promising up-and-coming director signed on. Mm-hmm. But they need a big name to play the Alan Quartermain, to be the lead. Mm-hmm. And they decide it has to be Sean Connery. Mm-hmm who is notoriously a grumpy old bastard. Mm-hmm. So um, he demands a massive salary, which, as we discussed, he got like 17 million and mm-hmm. bankrupted the film, essentially, before it even started. And that leaves them with no money. So the rest of the film, then, we just follow them... The rest of this film, we follow them shooting 
the film. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to make ends meet, padding the cast out with Z-listers, which can be a bunch of actors, like, low-rent actors making fun of themselves. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe we'll get some Simon Pegg types, you know, like... Yeah. Not that he's a Z-lister, but he'd be, he could play, like, a washed-up kind of, you know, mm-hmm. nobody kind of character. And then, as, as I say, we'll get lots of, like, studio interference uh, with, um, like, bastardising the plot while Sean Connery, like, just terrorises the crew by not cooperating with anything, fighting with the director, refusing to reshoot any scenes, not doing mm-hmm. his own stunts. Mm-hmm. Just funny stuff. And then, yeah, that's basically it. I just feel like this film would be a funny, like, behind-the-scenes version of the original film. So mm-hmm. that's idea number one. Okay. Idea number two is The League of Extraordinary Gentle Women. Because mm-hmm. as we kind of touched on, there's not really, a, not a great film for women. No. There's Mina Harker. She's the one female character in it. Yeah. And she doesn't get loads it. to do. No. I feel like another thing is her powers were employed inconsistently. Yeah. Like, there's that one pretty cool scene in Venice when she turns into a huge flock of bats. It's like, why would you not do that all the time? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's really useful. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Also, is she a vampire? Yes. She's in the sun a lot. Is that just not a thing in this for this vampire? I get that, that that rule seems to be optional with different vampire properties. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Like look at it in Twilight. Do I have to? <laughs> Fair. Okay, so this is very short. I've not really had a plot for this. But yeah, my idea is that maybe a version of this film, but just with women from literature instead. Mm-hmm. I'm open to ideas for who, who, who they would be. I don't want to go like really obvious ones like Wonder Woman. I want to mm-hmm. go for like, like again, because this film didn't go for like, you know, Superman and Batman. It was more of a, you know, second string, like mm-hmm. old literary kind of figures. So I got Hermione Granger, obviously. Okay. Uh, Elphaba from Wicked. Okay. It is essentially the Wicked Witch of the West, but you know, with, with a good a good version. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matilda, maybe. Oh, from yeah. World Wars, Matilda, yeah. as we discussed last week. Uh, maybe Lucy from the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, I don't remember which one she is. She was the youngest pregnancy, the one who had the power to. You could have Susan as well, but Lucy's like the one everyone likes. Like, she had the. They're all really annoying. I hate the them kids all. are annoying. Yeah. But yeah. Still. Okay. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, who, who else could we use? Like just any female like comic book or action movie. Or... Um, I mean, there's female superheroes, but are you trying to go away from? I'm trying to go away from. I'm trying to stuff. move away from the obvious stuff. Yeah. Hmm, I can't really name any B characters that actually have anything interesting about them. Yeah, they're quite rare. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that that, that was all I had really. Just a, the same film but with women, basically, mm-hmm. or maybe a slightly better version. Mm. But yeah, just with maybe with one token guy instead of like mm. a token woman. But yeah, so that was the League of Extraordinary Gentlewoman. Mm-hmm. And my third idea is my personal favourite, not to lead you in any particular direction when you mm-hmm. choose which one you want to make. So this one is called The League of Gentlemen, Remedial Literary Studies. Okay. And that title is because this is actually The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen as an episode of Community. Okay. So you know how every episode of Community has the title of like, um, yeah. yeah, some kind of class that they're supposed to be taking. Yeah, yeah. And again, I've not really fleshed this out. I've not got a story, but I feel like this could really work as an episode of Community. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those very special episodes when they kind of... Like the Dungeons & Dragons episode, the puppet mm-hmm. episode, the... Um, the paintballing The paintballing episode. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. where they all have to take on a certain role. And uh, yeah. So I thought that would be really fun. So I was thinking, who would play whom in these situations? It was the same characters. So it's Alan, it's still all the same characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've got my ideas, but I'm going to ask you first and then we'll see if we agree. So as the Sean Connery, Alan Quatermain... Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Jeff Jeff yeah, yeah. I went with Jeff it, it's, it's a no brainer he's the leader of the gang you know mm. he's the you know he's grumpy well, I was thinking that but then when they did Star Wars that time he wasn't Han Solo true 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 he Abad. was yeah. mm-hmm. Abad can be a good leader he can't I don't think of him as a Sean Connery type though I don't know no no. You need someone who can be like that grouchy kind of I don't really want to be here but yeah. I'm too cool for school but I'm kind of a hero kind of you know mm-hmm. so yeah Jeff as quarterly. I mean, mm-hmm. I can see him as well in like the, the outfit like you know mm-hmm. As uh, Mina Harker. Um, Annie. Yeah, it's got to be Annie. There's yeah. no question, really. Yeah. It's got to be Annie. Like, she can totally do that. Mm. Tom Sawyer. Troy. Yeah, same Troy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of these are kind of, they're easy. You know, he's, yeah. the, he's, the, he's the plucky young, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. handsome young guy who's, you know, heroic. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Am I, am I allowed to cast two people here or just one? I've cast one, but by all means, go with two if you want to. Okay, well, definitely Pierce as Mr. Hyde. Okay. I mean, how many characters are there? Are there the same amount of characters as there are community characters? I've managed to, yeah, I've managed to make it the okay. whole the okay, whole we'll, gang okay, and, we'll the, Pierce, and the we'll Dean. Pierce, then. Pierce is Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, cool. I've put Pierce as someone else. My Jekyll and Hyde is Shirley. Ah, oh, yeah, she would be better. 
because she's like super nicey nicey that she always has like rage issues like she, she <laughs> yeah that's true. that's true I thought that'd be really funny because she does like she's got those two very much two sides to her personality yeah okay like oh that's nice and mm-hmm. then she becomes yeah. Invisible Man or An Invisible Man yeah but no well okay why just, why? just to find uh, I just think that he'd play it well I don't know actually he would, he would be good but then he wouldn't really have an on screen presence yeah the Dean because the, the Dean's got best sort of scripting and actual voice mm-hmm Cool. So. I can see that, yeah. Uh, I went with Brissa. Okay. Just because the Invisible Man's kind of not very useful. <laughs> like, I feel like it'd be a good Brissa. Like, she's, she's totally Brissa being the Invisible Man. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Captain Nemo. Abad. Yeah, that's what I'm, and this, yeah. Was, this isn't a race thing. It's not because he's, he's of Indian um, No, not heritage. at all. It's, again, because he's very kind of zen and calm and like, mm. you know, he's like, I choose a different path. And, mm. But he's also kind of a badass. So I think yeah. Abed would be really good at that. And then as... M slash the Phantom slash Moriarty. Oh, yeah. It's got to be the Dean. Oh, no. This is where I put Piers. No. Nah. Oh, you're better at this than me. I just think that, like, he's once again, he's not been allowed into the group, so he decided to go all super evil. And... No, nah, I think it's the Dean. I'm still going the with Dean. the Dean. Okay, no, that's that's workable. I put the Dean as Dorian Gray. But again, that was kind of just because I don't have characters for people to be. And I can't really imagine Piers as Dorian Gray. No, and I've still got Shirley to place. Yeah. Shirley could be M. Surely could be M. She just bring the group together. She's like the mother hen, so mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, Dean makes a good Dorian Gray. Any others? Or is that that, it? That, that's basically the cast. Cool. They yeah, just, that could work really well. Be, I think that'd be pretty funny. Mm. So. You have all the side characters as well. Yeah, of course we're gonna have um, Starburns has got a play role at some point. Yeah, then probably get killed in some horrible way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty standard. Yeah. Do any of them have names? Remind me. Which what? Your three ideas. Oh, uh, so there is the League of Extraordinary Egos. Mm-hmm. There is the League of Extraordinary Gentle Women and Remedial Literary Studies. Mm. Okay, pretty good. Yeah. What would, like what, would, what, what would you choose out of those three? The third one. I thought you might, yeah. yeah. So community, essentially. Definitely, yeah. Cool. Okay, good stuff. I will send it to Dan Harmon. See you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that reunion episode will get it made. Good work. Could be the film they finally do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Six six seasons in a movie. Mm-hmm. This could be the, the movie. Could be the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's brilliant. It could really <laughs> work. Not to toot my own horn, but that is genius. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's getting to um, list of submissions. submissions. Okay, cool. So yeah, we had a few this week. So we watch anything at we watch anything says they. Just, this is a very pointed, political, timely one. They they've gone with a total remake set in modern day Hollywood. Because the film is called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they just want to see a remake in which a bunch of powerful producers fail to sexually assault anyone and treat women really well. Because so, <laughs> that would make them extraordinary gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. Very good. good. Very pointed, yeah. Uh, at one Aussie nerd, has he didn't give us a title, but he just suggested it be remade as a cop show, presumably with the same cast. Which that would be kind of cool. Okay, yeah. So those characters played by those actors, mm-hmm. but it's like a cop show. So you can have it like as a serious cop show. So I guess they're all on the force. Mm. So Sean Connery's like the grumpy chief of police. <laughs> Sean yeah. Connery's the grumpy chief of police. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, um, Shane West is like the young, young up and coming, you know, officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got Mina Harker as the token female cop, I guess, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and so on and so on. I think mm. I can see that working. Or you could do it as a comedy, like a Brooklyn Nine-Nine style kind of cop show. I think that would work. Yeah, yeah that'd fit better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh No Lit Class at Oh No Lit Class Pod. Uh, they've just said one word recast. So their idea is in the role of Dorian Gray, they chose Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. In the role Very of good. Captain Nemo, they decided Oscar Isaac. In the role of um, Mina Harker, Oscar Isaac. In <laughs> okay, the role okay. of. I I, I, except just it's spotting a theme here. So. I, can see, I can see where they're going with this. Yeah, so it's basically a one man show, just yeah. Oscar Isaac playing all the roles. Okay. <laughs> I think he could do it. He's very versatile. Mm. He's an extremely versatile actor. Mm-hmm. One good thing. At OGT Pod, uh, they just suggest that we cut straight to the very last Alan Moore book and adapt that, in which Mina Harker has to do battle with Harry Potter, who turns out to be the Antichrist. So, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and Blokebusters, who uh, inflicted this film on us, so thank you. They've sent us a lengthy answer. So, in their sequel, which again, no, no, no title. Come on, guys. In this sequel, the league has continued in real time since the first film so now it's 1914 approximately 15 years later so mm-hmm. it would match with the time between the film being released in 2003 and now the actors would be of the age mm-hmm. so it's 1914 it's 13 or 14 years later and uh, the rumblings of war are starting again and Sawyer gets together with Nemo and Skinner to find Hyde who's been missing since the events of the first film apparently yeah. and they try and catch him but he easily, he easily outsmarts them which surprises Sawyer 
when they do catch up though they find that he's actually in, hiding in seclusion with Quartermain they've gone into kind of hiding together mm-hmm. and who Quartermain who was resurrected just after the events of the first film as it kind of heavily signposted but he no longer feels like he's part of the new century he just wants to he, he, clearly he can't die because Africa is you know, the, the African people have given him eternal life it seems mm-hmm. but uh, he just doesn't feel like he belongs in the modern world so he just wants to hide away and not yeah. be part of it so they attempt to enlist him to you stop this oncoming war but he declines he feels like the war is inevitable however the, in this version it's not just the regular world war one in this version the germans are amassing an army of undead zombies and vampires an mm-hmm. army of the undead and the league needs to find out how to stop them and quartermain still refuses to help at first but he's talked around by hyde eventually when the league leaves and we then find out that the reason the germans have an army of the undead is that they've made a deal with dracula for control of northern europe mm-hmm. so the league plus quartermain and hyde join up to fight them uh, it takes three years for him to locate Dracula, which I guess takes them nicely into the war. Mm-hmm. They find him in a small town and they force him to negotiate and they organise a ceasefire, uh, although this was only as a distraction so that Mina Harker could sacrifice her own vampiric abilities by staking and setting fire to Dracula. Because I guess because he sired her, maybe in maybe in this kind of version of vampire law, if she kills him, she loses her own powers. Yeah, I guess. So I guess. human again, I guess. Will she have a human or she'll die? I'm not sure. Mm. This kills the undead. They all, die, they, I guess they all, because he's like the, the the one who's risen them. I guess when mm-hmm. he dies, they all die, and the vampires turn back to humans. And the league retreats back into the shadows, leaving the allied forces to win the war. And Quartermain accepts an offer to become the new M. <laughs> and Mina finally kisses Sawyer. Okay. And uh, yeah, and there we go. Lovely. So I mean, that's that's interesting. Like much like Wonder Woman, it takes mm-hmm. it's like a World War One kind of scenario, like mm-hmm. an alternate version of World War One, which is cool. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And the last one, which is my personal favourite, very popular on Twitter, this one, uh, Cast at Cast just said, how about a prequel that completely resets the universe so this trash fire movie never happened? <laughs> Burn. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's it. Thanks, guys. As always, really good stuff. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm. So if you have a sequel idea you'd like to see for um, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or if you have any ideas for films we've done in the past, or there's any films you'd like to hear us do in the future, please get in touch with us. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, Podbean, or most good podcasting platforms. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Google+, all those places, all the good social media networks. We'd love to hear from you. Please do let us know. And if you like what we do, hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday morning. And uh, if you really like what we do, leave us a review because it really helps us to find new listeners and we really appreciate it and it makes us feel good. Yeah, that'd be very great. Yep. So what's next week, Harry? Well, next week we have a, a another guest. Wow, our cup flow of overlays lately. Yeah, I know. I have to, well, we need to go back to normal. Yeah. Luckily, though, he's picked a good film. Okay, cool. Or so I've heard. I've, I've not seen it, so we'll okay. see. Um, the guest is my brother, Sam. Oh, okay. Um, Never who, heard of him. <laughs> um, who I finally got on this podcast after months and weeks of saying come on <laughs> please and see it's that needy quality yeah he's exactly. like wait he wants us more than we want him mm. clearly not true but you know to make him feel that way <laughs> <laughs> well it's worked and uh yeah next week he'll be on he'll be doing with nail and i oh fabulous have you never seen it nope that's bizarre yeah well i look forward to discussing it yeah that'll be exciting great so tune in next week everyone for with nail and i and mm-hmm. uh As always, get your sequel ideas ready. We will read them out. Yep, fantastic. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye. Bye.